You're doing the shadows. Eagle versus shark. Boy. Can I post that picture of you and Walter recording together? Sure. Just getting brunch with these pig dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Will you send me the picture that you took from behind where I'm holding him? This is the one I want to post. Cool. Oh, yeah, good. All right, I'll do that later. Send that one to me right now. Yes. No, I want. I want we got to record this. I know, but just quick send. I'm not gonna post it. Just send it to me. Man, the one from behind. Stop saying the one from behind. I know. <laughs> I keep looking at you, and you're not. You like. <laughs> I'm trying not to react because it's see. too. The fruit is hanging so low; it's on the fucking ground. The SVU pod, especially heinous. I'm gay. I'm Tasha. We are on episode 15, uncivilized, un- <laughs> <laughs> uncivilized. Season one, episode 15. We are getting there. Yeah. Before we start, I want to start doing this for every episode, okay? Because I know that we say, hey, we put the trigger warnings in the notes, but we're going to start our episodes with our trigger warnings. Now, this episode, pedophilia, child murder, traumatic descriptions. You don't want to S- hear that? Fucking turn the shit off. SVU stuff. Run S- of the mill SVU stuff. SVU stuff. But like some SVU episodes, like we'll talk about it. But some SVU episodes, I'm like, I'm down for this shit. And I can make a million jokes during this episode. And some of them, we'll see how it goes. But it's yeah. the, the content makes it real fucking somber, you know? Yeah. Anyway, those are the trigger warnings. So, even, well, I mean, even strap in for some fun, guys. <laughs> We open with the crime scene. Benson and Stabler are at a park. It's taped off. There's police everywhere. The victim is an eight-year-old boy named Ryan Davies. He was reported missing like 40 hours earlier. There's a couple of traumatized little boys that found him while chasing a ball into the trees. Oh my God, I know. I know, and they were like little good little actors. They were like looking down. Well, first of all, like, where are their parents? Like, yeah. You know, they shouldn't even be questioning kids without their parents there. Oh, after that's this true. Traumatic. So the, the, the kid They're was probably a, at craft services. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> The kid was assaulted, mm-hmm. he was raped, strangled, and buried in a shallow grave. Sabler seemed to be having like kind of a hard time. He had quite the, the episode as a father. Yeah, he's got some dad stuff going on there. Yeah, when he was crouched down, he was about to unzip the body bag, and he like hesitated for a super long time, made eye contact with Olivia, got himself the strength from his amazing partner, mm-hmm. and then went ahead with it. Right. This job would fucking kill me. Yeah. They go to the Davies house, Benson and Stabler, and they have to tell them that their son is dead. And it's really sad. And A mom's nightmare. A yeah. dad's nightmare. Yeah. They're at the precinct. And Olivia mentions that everybody has a hard time with like child death stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan was found naked from the waist down. He had ligature marks around his neck from a hand it looked like at first. Right. A hand and bruises covering his entire body. Stabler's sitting there looking at photos of Ryan Davies, like soccer pictures and stuff. I know. Oh. So there's, um, there was no sign of a struggle, no weapons, and no evidence. The last time the parents had seen him was after school he went to a comic book shop looking for Pokemon cards. Yeah. And he never made it there. Also so Cassidy's, Cassidy's there. there. <laughs> yeah. So oh my God, we said it at the same time. We haven't brought this up for a minute, but we're following the Amazon timeline, which is not the same as what you're gonna find on IMDB. So on Amazon, this is episode 15. Clearly it's been mixed up. One, because we found that on the internet that it was mixed up, but also Cassidy's back. Cassidy like slunked away a few episodes ago because his heart was too big. This sounds like the first episode of when he starts to of that progression. Yeah. Because yeah. all of a sudden, like just all of a sudden he left and we're 
like, oh. Mm-hmm. So also there is a huge marsh around this park. So they're going to comb it for evidence. Yeah. Jeffrey says she'll check out all the adults in the victim's life and look around for registered sex offenders in the area. And then Cassidy says transporting the body, leaving it exposed, hallmarks of a stranger. Mm-hmm. Craig sends mm-hmm. everyone to canvas the neighborhood. And Stabler is affected. Like yeah. they're just going to keep cutting to Stabe's struggling. Munch and Cragen are outside the school talking to Girl Scouts selling cookies with their moms. And this little girl that they talk to looks so familiar. Like I've seen her as an adult. The dark haired girl with the bangs yeah, and, the and the glasses. She looked so fucking familiar and I couldn't I couldn't place her. So she tells Cassidy that older boys, Mike D and Jimmy G mm-hmm. had maybe hurt Ryan. Should we be them for Halloween? Uh, uh <laughs> I call Mike D. Good because I want to wear that earring. Okay, cool, because I want to look like the ShamWow guy. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. Okay, so Munch and Cassidy then cut to the park. They go up to this kid who looks like the guy in a 90s era after school special offering free heroin to 11-year-olds. Yeah, he does. Lanky, backwards hat. Ooh, this dude is trouble in this time period. (laughs) But also now that I just thought of that, and also the ShamWow guy. So this is the ShamWow guy in high school. Yeah. Munch is like, you Jimmy G? And he's like, I'm Mike D. Who wants to know? And I'm like, we need to put an asterisk here and say, not the cool beastie boy, but the flaccid tough guy, Mike D. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like, who wants to know? And then Munch is like, badge flash. And just like shows him his belt, the cool cop way to do it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, here comes a bowl cut hoop earring (laughs) with a skateboard. (laughs) All the late 90s signs of a troublemaker. Yep. Sup. Ugh. This must be Jimmy G, I say to myself. (laughs) So Jimmy G was a neighbor of Ryan Davies. Mm -hmm. And Munch gets all munchy. And I love when he does this to punky young dick dudes, Mm -hmm. you know? Munch is talking shit to Mike D. And Mike D's like, don't patronize me. And Munch is like, actually, it's patronize. Mm -hmm. Normally, I would hate that. He also does it like look over his glasses. He looks over his (laughs) glasses. So they tell him about a weird dude who's been riding around on his bicycle for about a month. He's an older guy. He hangs around the park. His last name is Turbot, and he lives on Linwood Street. Mm -hmm. The detectives are walking away, and Mike D yells, Hey, I thought Men in Black sucked. First of all, it didn't, but okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And Munch comes back, and he sighs. I mean, yes, own this guy, but like, I didn't get this. I have three question marks. Okay. On my notes. He goes, better than appropriating black culture for your own bad self, at least be original. Yeah, is I think it was because he was wearing his hat backwards because he took it off and put it on him right. front. Or is it like because he's attempting like being cool or something? No, it or was the hat. It was the hat. Yeah, and I think back then wearing your hat backwards was like a stereotypical black guy thing. I don't understand. So then anyway, Cassidy finger guns him. And <laughs> yeah, there was a finger gun thing. <laughs> I was like, get out of here, you guys. (laughs) Pew, pew. (laughs) Okay, so Benson and Stabler are at the apartment of Bill Turbot, the guy that the skateboard kids tell him about. He's weird. He is. He tells them about how he rides his bike by the park, and they're like, why do you ride your bike over there? And he has... The sense of history. You're like, what the... What? He has extensive white guy knowledge of parks. Yeah. And they give him shit because he rides around the area where the kids play at the playing field. And I make note that this dude is a little odd. Yeah. Okay. But they're asking a lot of questions about being at the park and whatever. And he's like, oh, it must seem 
seems strange, like a grown man being in an area where there's a lot of little kids and da 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 da. Okay, we're just gonna put a pin in that. Okay. Yeah, I also think it's not that weird to ride home on your bike through a park. It's not, but it's SVU, so they're like, oh. Also, I think they're pressing him a little bit. Stabler almost set his drink down on his stamp collection. And he like lost his shit. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just they're setting up that. He likes stamps. This <laughs> like dude seems like an isolated, loner, kind of weirdo. Yeah. I feel sorry for him right. kind of dude at this point. Like they want you to feel bad for him. They want you to be conflicted throughout this episode. Right. Right? Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are leaving his apartment. Oh, here's his bicycle that he was all jacked about. And they're like, let's take samples of the dirt on the bicycle tires mm-hmm. to see if it matches up with the field where Ryan was found. Which it is going to because that dude rides his bike around there. He like, like, literally said it. So now they're at the precinct. They're kind of talking about how weird Turbot was. Forensics is working on the dirt from the bike. Mike D and Jimmy G placed Turbot at the park at 5 p.m., which is the time of Ryan's death. If they have a positive ID, they can get a warrant to search Turbot's apartment. This is also weird because... Because the boys knew what he looked like, knew his name, mm-hmm. and had to pick him out in the lineup. Like N- knew his fucking address. Yeah, I was like, why do you need the lineup for? There's, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in this episode in particular where I was like, wait a minute, it's a loosely knitted storyline. Right. They're in the interrogation room. Turbot tells them that on Friday night when Ryan disappeared Mm -hmm. around that time, he was at the tavern. Which I thought because he's like a super nerdy guy. I'm like, can you not call? It's a bar. Like you were at the bar. Turns out that's the name of the bar. Yeah. It's called the tavern. But I was like, (laughs) I know. Stop using weird words for stuff that everybody knows. Yeah. Like I was at the pub. You're like, shut up. We're not in London. Stabler asked him if he was seen by anyone at at the tavern and why he was there. He said he had just acquired the inverted Jenny, which which is a stamp. I ended up doing a bunch of research on this. I'm not going to go into it. It's a stamp that got misprinted upside down. There's like a hundred of them. They're like really sought after. It was when the USPS was like really starting to play with the idea of like using airplanes to deliver mail mail and stuff. And it's like a whole thing. So they really wanted to get it out super fast. Doesn't matter. It doesn't. But Gabe was like really wanting to talk about the inverted Jenny. Well, the planes are really... Because the pla- there's these airplanes called the Jenny, and they were like pretty much like the backbone of like they just did a ton of shit, and they were in World War One and could do all the stuff, and it was just also cool. we're moving our platform to NPR, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But no, let's do a chaser on dead children and child molesters. Oh my god! <laughs> I can talk about an upside down plane. Okay, hold on. Um, why am I? Oh, the stamps. <laughs> oh, we forgot to. Say- <laughs> anyway, like I was saying, it was 1944. <laughs> So he had just acquired this stamp, the inverted Jenny. I just told you about it. And so he went to the tavern to celebrate. He was drinking a black and tan, which, yum. Yeah. Okay. They asked him if they knew Ryan and he was like, who? He said that he was at the tavern playing cards with some dudes he didn't know. He doesn't know their names because he usually keeps to himself. So then Jeffrey's fucking shablams the door open and she's like, hey, I need to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. All right. She found nine registered sex offenders in that area. Cragen says that only one matched this case. Fucking Turbot. Yeah, Turbot was arrested 10 years prior. He does all of his registration shit. He served his time, whatever. Stabler is like getting agitated and saying like, what did he do? Yeah. What did he do? And keeps asking what he's convicted for. And he was in prison for child molestation of a boy two months older than Ryan Davies. Right. So. And I'm sorry, it wasn't just like molestation. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um. This is the part. This is like the weird. This. 
this is where I get to like, okay, let's go back to when you guys were originally questioning him. First of all, you usually do research on people before you talk to them, right? You have this guy's name. You don't look up to see if he has a record. Secondly, he's in the sex offender registry. It takes barely a click to get this information on this guy. And you have his name from yeah, the, the cool guys that hang out at the park. But the clicks were a lot longer back then. I guess. No. And then also, here's the other thing. Look at me pick this apart. What a fucking nerd. I'm the munch of going this over episode. this episode right now. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna look at you over my glasses. Over my for the rest of the glasses. <laughs> but then when they were questioning him, they were like, Oh, why do you go through the park and kids and blah blah blah? Nobody, including this guy who's registers and do- follows the letter of the law, doing everything that he has to do to like be a registered sex offender, says anything about like, mm, so I guess you guys are asking me this because I'm a sex offender. Like nobody says any of that. Yeah, even at his house. Wouldn't you go back into the room where Turbot's sitting after like n- being nervously questioned and be like, hey dude, why didn't you say shit about being a fucking registered sex offender for molesting a kid? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I don't know. That is is not an issue with the case as if we were like diving into this being reality. This is my issue with I can't follow the storyline because none of these things make sense. Right. Those are the times when it becomes painfully aware that you're watching a TV show and not like a bunch of cops doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cut to craziness in the streets in front of Turbot's apartment. There's parents out there freaking out. This brick shit house, Conan O'Brien, is pissed. Holy shit. That's a good. Ex- yeah. He is pissed that they let a, a sex offender in their area. And he's like, I let my kid be alone with him. Why? Why yeah. are you letting your kid be alone with an adult man? I can't parent yeah. shame, but a lot of this stuff, I'm like, there's they're, a reason I'm a helicopter mom. Yeah. They're like, why didn't you tell us? Right. Yeah. yeah. Because they're supposed to go door to door when a sex offender moves in. I think yeah. within a certain amount of blocks, once they register, they have to like go door to door and tell families or tell the neighbors. Yeah. And the lady was like, he lured my daughter into his house with a stamp collection. And I was like, no, nobody's ever been lured anywhere by by a stamp. You know what I mean? I don't know, Gabe. You were pretty interested in that inverted I Jenny. I gotta get that inverted Jenny. <laughs> I wonder how much they are. I'm wondering because it was 24 cents when it came out. Which but it is wasn't expen- in good condition, but quite a steal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> End quote. And scene. I wanted to come for these parents with like a battery of jokes, but then I'm just like, oh, it feels like really parent shamey to parents who like whose kids have been abused. Yeah. No parent fucking wants that to happen to their kid. No decent parent. No human. Nobody does. Parent yeah. wants that to happen to their child. So back at the precinct, Benson and Stabler and Cragen are sitting down with the precinct captain from Bill Turbot's neighborhood, from that neighborhood, oh. and the psychologist who worked with Turbot bit after his arrest and incarceration. Okay. So one thing he says is not all sex offenders are repeat offenders. And Stabes is like, you show me a first time offender and I'll show you a guy who's never been caught before. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Yeah. So I knew this woman in Colorado. She had her own practice. She was a therapist, a group therapist and therapist for sex offenders, mm. specifically child sex offenders. And in Colorado, she was trying to get me to get my like, um, take a class on doing, what's that called? Uh, lie detecting? lie detecting because right. there was only like two people in Colorado that did it. You can make a shit ton of money and she has to give these men lie detector tests every week. Even though they're they're not admissible in court? I don't mean, I don't know. That's just what she crazy. It was just part of like Colorado laws for them mm-hmm. or something. So she had been doing her job for like 20 years and was like, hey, I hate them. Yeah. She's like, they don't. Nine out of ten every time. Oh. Nine out of ten. She's like, there's that one percent whatever, but he's white knuckling it. Right. You know, she's like, they they'd all do it. So the precinct captain in this meeting is worked up that they expected more of them because he was like, 
So either we tell all the neighbors and they freak out, like, look at what happened. They didn't inform the neighbors when he moved in. And he also brings up that Bill Turbot was psychotic on drugs when he terribly raped this kid. He was, like, overloaded on some sort of right so they're like using it as like a psychedelic um, shit they're like well you know he's a he's talking about his reformation the boy was going door-to-door selling candy and that's literally all that bill or turbot remembers yeah and then the psychologist or psychiatrist was like i think it's psychologist he was like oh this isn't the the bill turbot i knew and blah 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 he you know i don't think this was him and benson and stabler are like yeah you're gonna know a different dude when he's in prison yeah like it's gonna be a different person When there's not bed checks and you're making your own meals, it's different. Yeah. So the kid was going door to door selling candy and the neighbors heard screaming, but they were from Turbot. Yeah. He was like losing his shit. He thought the boy was dead and yeah. his corpse was attacking him. Yeah. yeah. And they, the police found the boy unconscious on the floor. Mm. Turbot was a ball on the floor panicking. Yeah. But the kid was, when he went to the hospital, he had to like lie in his stomach for like weeks. Yeah. And he like couldn't walk. Yeah. It's fucking awful. So Turbot's lawyer and Stabler are doing a classic SVU walk and talk in the mm-hmm. next scene. Yeah. Turbot's lawyer. I was like, who the fuck is she? Who is she? Who is she? She played Ross from Friends' ex-wife's partner. And she was who Ross's wife left him for. And it was like a joke that she was a lesbian now. Yeah. The lawyer and Stabler are arguing about the legality of taking DNA samples from Turbot. There was DNA under the victim's fingernails. Turbot is fighting the doctors. Stabler tells him they have a court order, but he's afraid of needles and like flips out and they end up having to hold him down. Right. And this is where I'm like, are we supposed to feel bad for him yeah okay so now they're at the victim's parents house again the davies house benson and stabler are leaving the mom does the whole that whole like my girl thing oh my god that's what i put too yeah she's like did you find his glasses he can't see you without him and I, I put a little like frowny face i put a colon my girl question mark yeah the like he went to go find my mood ring mm. all the bees Oh, so sad. So then Stabler goes to meet his family at the park after this. And he walks up and he's like, they're like, hi, dad. And he's like, where's Dickie, his son? Mm-hmm. He's probably playing ball. like. And Stabler's head is in his job where it right. a lot of times gets stuck. So he kind of trots off like in that panicked parent. Oh, I'm just. With his just big old to, butt. You know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I don't know. I watched it twice. So I wasn't watching that. I was relating on a parent level. I was like, look at that fat ass. <laughs> I mean, go find your child. (laughs) But he's like kind of panic looking around and then he sees him. He tears over to him. Dickie's playing football and he picks him up and holds him. I can imagine that moment because I think about it all the time because I'm in constant fear that something happened to my kids. Mm -hmm. Stabler goes to the tavern. and The the bar, the tavern. Stabler goes to the bar, the tavern. Yeah. He's there to clear Bill Turbot's alibi. And the bartender says that Bill Turbot is a paycheck drinker and he comes in on payday and spends about half of his check. The bartender is verifying... How do people do this in New York? I have no fucking idea. How do you... And then have an apartment and then have a stamp collection. And like work at a recycling center. This isn't like, adding I, up. He's like, I separate the plastics, the red, the green, the blue. And the, like <laughs> She's like, oh my God, I fell asleep. What? Tell me more about the stamp, please. <laughs> 
So as the bartender is verifying this dude's story, he's like, I have a little girl and I was up all night thinking about Ryan Davies and Stabler's like, we all were, dude. Right. When he said that, I was like, he's lying. Oh, yeah. So Stabes is like, was he playing cards with anyone? And he's like, nope. Actually, he left for a few hours and came back looking real upset. In my notes, I wrote, I think Stabes and I are on the same page when we wonder if this bartender is lying because Turbot is a chomo. Oops, I didn't. Have you seen that SNL with The Rock? Yes. The child molester robot? The most, how all these evil geniuses get together and she's like, I made a freeze ray. He's like... I made a, like, a child molesting from How do you? He's like, that dude gets. He's like, no. He's like, how do you even make a child molesting? He's like, well, you make the robot, then you molest it and hope it continues the cycle. <laughs> I know. He's like, look, can we all just relax and go to that, that restaurant that has a little tiny sandwich? He's like, it's a fucking White Castle. And then it turns into like a commercial for White Castle. <laughs> I forgot. Bobby Moynihan's in it. It's terrible. It's so bad. Oh my god! He's like, it's so bizarre how that can be so hilarious, and this can be so heartbreaking. <laughs> He's like, Mussolini made people drink castor oil till they died. Like that's where the goalposts are, right? Like, <laughs> not a freeze ray. I'm gonna turn Christmas in July. Okay, so Munch and Cassidy, they go to collect Turbot's bike. They're and then, talking about how, how it's like to have kids. And they're both like, no thanks. And we're both like, great. <laughs> Everybody's like, nobody wants either of you to have kids. Benson and Stabler are at the office of the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. And they're talking to a ponytailed forensic dude that we've never met before. Yeah. Turns out, oh my God, the dirt on the bike doesn't pinpoint the crime scene. Just yeah. the neighborhood. And we're they're, like, they're like oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But um, they did find out that the bike chain, they held it up because the the neck, they had a picture of the ligature marks mm-hmm. life size and they held the bike chain up to it. And it was like a perfect match. Yeah. And also Olivia asks about Ryan's glasses and I'm like, we're going somewhere mm-hmm. with these glasses. They have the bike chain that matches. They have two eyewitnesses or the bartender can't account for Turbot's whereabouts for two hours. So the ADA needs them to talk to Turbot's victims, Christopher James. That's Turbot's victim from 12 years ago and to see if the MOs match and then they can bring them in. Right. And they're still waiting for the DNA from the chain, but because they have all of these other pieces of circumstantial evidence, they can go ahead and move forward. So they're at the home of Christopher James. Who lives with his mom. Yeah. Benson needs to record his story. There was a little interaction I saw with Stabler that I didn't catch till the second time when he walked in. Olivia like shakes his hand and mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. and Stabler goes out and the guy just kind of turns and kinda... Olivia like looks at Stabler and was like get out of here I, you know, yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna handle this because he obviously doesn't like men yeah as he should right not like men you know? right yeah he, he tells Olivia his story so she can record it and it's an awful story of the worst kind here's my notes Gabe can tell it I was just gonna say do you want me to yeah, do it yeah I can't do it so this kid he went out alone his mom didn't want him to but he insisted he's like because I'm a big boy now you know and he was like 11 or something right he was nine okay he had four chocolate bars left to sell and so he had knocked on turbot's door and turbot invited him in and he went to use his bathroom and when he came back out turbot wanted him to play and like ride his back like a donkey he said so he took off his belt and used it as a harness christopher didn't want to and when he refused turbot wrapped the belt around his neck and forced him down on all fours and raped him while pulling the belt tighter and tighter till christopher passed out and he was like crying when he told this guy was a really good little actor so now they're at turbot's apartment he's being arrested and the neighborhood is clapping everybody is outside clapping all of a sudden the bartender shows up with his suit jacket over his shoulder he, like, like whips he's strolling up i'm like yeah. okay johnny cash okay joaquin phoenix but 50 as johnny cash <laughs> 
I hated him. Yeah. So he was like, look, I wasn't straightforward with you about the tavern. Like, Also, this is where you don't go to the station house or anything. Like, hey, I need to admit that I lied. You like walk up to them arresting the... It, yeah. This episode was so dumb and I hated yeah. everything about so it. So he was like, dude, Turbot was in the tavern playing cards the whole night. He said he said that because he wanted them to put him away because he thinks Turbot will do it again to some other kid. Yeah. And he's like, who cares? Yeah. It's- but the bartender was an ex-cop and he came clean because he couldn't deal with making a false statement to a fellow officer. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So they're at Kragen's office. Kragen says they can't hold him anymore. All the evidence that they have is hard to pin on Turbo without the DNA. Um, right. It's all like circumstantial stuff. And the prosecuting attorney is like, tough titties. You've got to cut him loose. Like there's no legal way we can hold him now. Yeah. Especially with, well, with, with with the bartender thing falling through, his alibi does check out now, you know? Mm-hmm. His alibi checks out. The DNA doesn't match. Yeah. So then Kragen gets a phone call as they're like going back and forth on this. The state attorney general. Yeah. He says to the prosecuting attorney, he's like, that was your boss. So hold him for just a minute and I have to go down and talk to him. Yeah. So he goes to the office of the state attorney general. Morris Klein. Yeah. And he calls him Commissioner Morris, which we met Commissioner Morris. It's a different dude. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Commissioner Morris before he was like, it's in the paper circular. And this Commissioner Morris is Richard Nixon and George W. Bush had an an adult older man baby. Yeah. Okay. The baby was born 45. Right. 20 years ago. Yeah. So this is supposed to be Commissioner Morris. He's a 20-year-old, 55-year-old, <laughs> just exploring the world. Got out of his This parents. fall on NBC. <laughs> so the commissioner basically tells Cragen that they're trying to set up a thing where child molesters serve their time, and then they have a psychologist convince a judge that they're going to offend again and put them away in a hospital for the criminally insane for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And it's called um it's called civil the civil commitment. Right. Craigan's like not here for it because he's like they've served their time and blah 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 and this is the way this we have it against, laid like, out. Civil liberties, yeah. Right, which is like then let's go back and review that shit because we learn more and more all the time in the world of psychology and sciences and everything else. Our laws need to be adjusted based on that shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He disagrees with the commissioner but uh gives him 24 hours to get his shit together for this deal. So then it cuts to Stabes picking up Dickie at school and the kids are running around the park and Dickie goes looking for pedophiles dad yeah and Stabes is like what and he's like yeah a kid told me that like that's what you do because that's your job he's like tell your little friend I'm a cop and that's my job or whatever he's like you tell him yourself when you come and talk at my class will you talk at my class you know yeah. he's like yeah whatever Dickie's a little bitch though oh my god <laughs> they're at the precinct doctors are giving Turbot a psych eval Cragen is pissed he doesn't like the situational ethics of the whole thing yeah yeah exactly Exactly. One of the therapist people is from him, where he went to prison. Right? Yes. Like she who worked with him there. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's asking if he had remorse. She's asking about watching the videos of his apartment after like the crime scene mm-hmm. photos and stuff. He said he didn't even recognize an apartment. There was like scratches on the wall. It had looked like an animal had been in his apartment. Oh he said um, the drugs made him do terrible things and and she was like was this a fantasy and he was like no my biggest fantasy before that was imagining his neighbor taking off her blouse and he says like there's not a day gone by that he hasn't felt remorse for what he did to that christopher kid but he doesn't remember a minute of it yeah so he sounds very convincing when he's telling this story right Mm -hmm. it's so hard to have compassion for that it's akin to like if some guy was fucked up out of his mind and like raped me or something Mm -hmm. i'd be like oh yeah that totally sucks fuck you right you know what i mean like oh poor you oh my god i'm so sorry that you No, you have to no like and yeah the guy did his time and for the rest of his life he has to like register and he does it and whatever Mm -hmm. but still it's like you saw that fucking kid yeah look at what he's that's what the rest of his life his life is like because you got fucked up once 
or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's like just, it's an explanation, not a fucking excuse. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So Captain Cragen calls looking for the DNA results on the chain. Turbot's DNA didn't match the DNA found on Ryan. This is so Cragen's like, cut him loose. I have, oh my God, was it those damn teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> those damn teenagers. Yeah. So the shrink talks to Cragen about the detectives testifying to Turbot's demeanor when they first interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Cragen's still arguing that he doesn't want him to go He's to... Like, you're going to put him away even though he didn't do it? Yeah. She says she considers it a preemptive strike. Right. And Cragen's like, what about chemical castration? Depo Prevera? It's like, you really think that you can make book on it, Captain? Like, yeah. She's like that Colorado lady. Like, she's just like, she knows that stuff's going to happen nine out of ten times. And is like, this is the only thing that we have to keep our community safe. Mm-hmm. But you also can't, like, bust over people's civil liberties. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that child molesters don't have rights. Like, criminals don't have rights. Except for felons. You know what I mean? Like, this is so fun. <laughs> it's hard. I hate this it's so much. It's stupid. You just don't get to, like, if somebody does their time, they just need to, we need to find an island. Oh, where my they God. Can, like, stay there. That's like, been. Like, like, No Escape. The movie No Escape with Ray Liotta. I fucking love Ray Liotta. Me too. He always looks like he's wearing eyeliner, and I'm not sure if he is or not. Oh! That's true. She's saying that civil commitment is the only option to make sure that he doesn't reoffend. All right. Turbot and his lawyer from Friends are leaving the precinct and everyone is quietly staring at them and it's just a super eerie vibe. And <laughs> this isn't funny, but I'm sorry, the way Munch dorkily puts his balled up fists on his hips, like, hmm, like as he watches him Harumph. leave the precinct, yeah. he's like, his tall, lanky body and, and then over his glasses watches him walk out. He's like Gran Torino. <laughs> right. Yes. They're mm-hmm. at Terry and Linda Davies' home. Mm-hmm. Ryan's glasses, question mark. Yeah, she keeps asking about if they found Ryan's glasses. The dad is blaming himself. Yeah. They had to like tell them that the DNA didn't match her, but she's like, who else could it be? And we're like, well. Now they're at Dickie's school. Stabler is finally talking in his class about his job. And he's like talking to them about child molesters and like how to avoid them and not believe them if they're play acting, you know, Mm -hmm. which is like, hey, your mom's sick. Get in my car. Yeah. Oh, and that little boy. I know. And and he was like, if somebody is hurting you, go tell your mom and dad. And this little boy was like, what if it's your dad that's hurting you? And he like goes up to him. And get like gets, gets that like his, eye level with this child. It was like, then you tell Dickie and Dickie will tell me. Yeah. So this kid's getting molested, right? I've never felt more safe. <laughs> I know. I think the kids were just asking questions because kids are curious. Yeah. And adults don't realize that like there's gaps in the finality of their statements. Yeah. So this is again with that like stranger danger shit. Mm-hmm. And even though that stuff is viable, like I remember being told that don't get into a car with somebody that says whatever da 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 one time my aunt was coming to pick me up from school but i didn't know she was coming to pick me up and i just see her van pull up and i'm in like second grade and whoever's in the back opens the door and they're like hey we're taking you back to our place and then your mom's gonna like come meet up with us later hop in and i'm like what's the password or whatever and my aunt's like get in the fucking car <laughs> yeah and I'm like, oh, it's um, good though that you were like, you yeah, know. oh, but then I got in the car. Like, all you had to do was like insist a little, and I'm like, okay. So now they're at the Supreme Court. They're at the civil commitment hearing. Wait. Turbot's lawyer is asking the psychiatrist um, at the prison if he was ever sexually violent with anyone at the prison. She says no. The lawyer says that Turbot had done his time for the crime, and the therapist said that the crime has a likelihood of being repeated the lawyer mentions that turbot was sane when he was convicted and served his time and it's unconstitutional 
to now say he's insane and needs to be put away. The judge needs to consider everything and we'll be back tomorrow. Like he's like, I, I gotta think about all this shit. Pinson and Stabler are on the steps of the courthouse. So is the lawyer and Turbot. And fucking Ryan Davies' dad comes up and shoots Turbot a shit ton mm-hmm. from close range. Yeah. And he like knows this isn't the guy, but he's like just pissed. He's just like heartbreak raging out. Yeah. You know, and he knows that this guy has committed terrible yeah. acts. You know, He's dead and he wasn't even the guy that did it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, he's probably better off because but- his life was going to be full of shit. He'd have to move. And you're kind of left going like, how bad do I feel that this... Ugh, it's so complicated. I know. So we're back at the precinct. There's a team meeting talking about Turbot's murder. Craig back to like, square one. Yep. Yeah. Craigan's like, not cool. And Stabler's like, I mean... What are we going to do with the stamps? Cassidy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about the stamp collection? It's like, fuck off, Cassidy. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they bring in Jimmy G, one of the two eyewitnesses placing Turbot at the scene. Yeah, they have to like, they're going to like, we're back to square one. We got to go back to the two witnesses. Uh, yeah. Cassidy goes in to talk to him with his cringy cool dad vibes. No, he does the chair flip thing. Oh, and he's, he's like, puts a, puts a can down in front of him and he's like, soda. No, he says, <laughs> cola. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. He's like trying to make the guy feel like we're just chilling, hanging out. Just like a couple of cool, two cool dudes, two cool, young, hip dudes. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, he's so creepy. Yo, yo, MTV raps. Am I right? (laughs) So Jimmy G looks nervous. He doesn't seem to be able to answer simple questions. And Cassidy asks him specifically, did Turbot ride his bike by the woods or by the river? Mm -hmm. And he's like, he rode by the woods. Cut to Munch with Mike D in for questioning. And Mike D says Turbot rode by the river. So their stories aren't matching up. They're like, get down to the riverside because they've like the woodside is where Ryan was found. Mm hmm. So they freaking go and get some cops to go down to the riverside and look for stuff. Yep. And they're also going to take blood for um, samples from these two dudes. Mm -hmm. So Stabler and Cassidy are walking by that part of the park being processed. I just want to make a quick note before we get through this is that at the beginning of the episode, Cragen had said, we're going to have forensics combing the marsh. Combing that area. Stabler. I know you know where I'm going. Stabler and Cassidy. This is like when she found that book. Exactly. Stabler and Cassidy are talking about how tough the job is and how hard it is to let go after work, which, yeah. And there's all the forensics dudes and waiters with metal detectors, and they're looking along the river. Literally with metal detectors. Yes. They're looking for whatever caused the ligature marks on Ryan's neck because, remember, the DNA on the chain didn't match Ryan, right? Right. So the metal detector beeps. Cassidy hops the fence by the marsh to see what they found, and he's like, oh, it's a quarter. And then Cassidy turns around. He's in four foot tall grasses. And he's like, what is this? (laughs) Stabler, come on over here. Do you see how sexily Stabler jumped over the fence? Like one one arm. Yeah. No, one foot. He like jumped up and like. Just use one foot to get over it. Right. It was. It's those butt muscles. It's those butt muscles. Yeah. Can we make a T-shirt that says that? <laughs> Stabler's butt. It's those butt muscles. So after Cassidy all but cartoonishly trips, he goes down to pick up what he finds, which is Ryan's tiny wire-rimmed glasses that forensics was unable to find until Cassidy... They found a quarter. Dumbledore's over them. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they find a quarter. They find a couple of quarters, it sounded like. Yeah. Another quarter. Hey, how many quarters you got? <laughs> Gumballs are on me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Forensics Ponytail has a giant box of a computer with fingerprints on it. Mm. This fingerprint is a partial from Ryan's glasses. They put in Jimmy G's fingerprint next to it, and the dude has a 
side by side, but he kind of just like, you know how when they do- um, He went like this and I watched his finger and I was like, none of this matches. Yeah. <laughs> he like waves his finger back and forth for a second and a half and decides that it's a match. When they do forensics in cop shows now, they like- They're like- They like lay the two fingerprints over top of each other. And then yeah. it's like these little squares that are like match, 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 match. Yeah. And they have to match up a bunch of things. Like a guy wagging his finger. This guy must be the guy in forensics if this is what it took for him to it's a match maybe he has a tiny computer in his ponytail that connects to his eyes and does it for him he has it's like um in the Terminator. movie avatar in his ponytail and he connected his ponytail <laughs> to, <laughs> to the, the computer, computer. <laughs> and then they flew away <laughs> and, and then that then they copulated <laughs> him in the computer <laughs> they're along the river a chain is found and they're like oh yeah turbot said one of his chains was stolen yeah we didn't mention that earlier but he said that when he was talking about his fucking bike in the beginning he was like i think people are jealous of it because it gets moved and my bike chain was stolen yeah so we're like great nobody's jealous of your fucking cruiser benson and stabler there with forensics ponytail the dna on the chain matches ryan okay the chain that they just found yeah the tissue samples under ryan's fingernails belong to one of the boys. Mm -hmm. Which one? Yeah. Cut to Benson and Stabler interrogating Jimmy G. Mm -hmm. And they're like, da -da 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 -da. they use their cop tactics. Mike's going to tell us. So boom, boom. Now they're questioning Mike D. They're doing Ugh. this like crossfade back and forth. Yes. Which is really effective. It's like emotional. You're like, damn. Right. Yeah. And so Mike D's like, my mom, whenever I do something bad, she'd say, boys will be boys. But let's take a moment with that for everyone to just scream in their car. Yeah. Okay. okay, fuck your mom, Mike D. Now they're saying that they think Mike went along with Jimmy. They're saying this to Mike D. They're just trying to get whatever story they can out of either of the boys. Mm -hmm. Then they both decide to tell what they did. They found a site, quote unquote, off the web. Mm -hmm. It's the year 2000. They said they were surfing. We, we were surfing. surfing. Yeah. They found a sex offender website and found that Turbot lived in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. On the site, they said that it was super specific what Turbot had done to Christopher. He said there was almost like directions. Yeah. So they started fucking with Turbot, moving his bike, stealing his bike chain. And Mike D gets choked up saying Jimmy kept going on about the chain and what Turbot did with it. I hate this that I laughed super hard at stupid Jimmy. But so Olivia's like... What happened the Friday that Ryan disappeared? And Jimmy G is kind of cross-eyed but super intense and he's staring ahead and he's like, we were in my garage, smoking. <laughs> yeah. They, they keep seeing Ryan like riding his bike back and forth. They kept making fun of him and saying like, how much candy did he have to sell to afford his bike? Man? Yeah. So they took the bike chain and took Ryan to the marshes like just goofing around, he kept saying. And his glasses fell off and that's when Ryan like really freaked out and Mike had to hold him down. Mike said it was it was awful. Then Jimmy said something really weird. He said, look, I'm not gay or anything until he started screaming. Did you notice that? Yeah. I was like, wait, that made you gay? Or are you just saying I'm not gay or anything? And then a different thought. Then he started screaming. Yeah. I, it was weird. I don't know. But Jimmy G's version gets very sociopathic. Yeah. And Mike D is crying. So yeah. like, it's clear like Jimmy's fucked. Yeah, yeah. But they both did he fucked was up shit. So he was screaming and Jimmy took the bike chain to shut him up. They And then he heard his neck snap. <laughs> And then Jimmy said, a kid was a loser anyways. Yeah. And Stabler was like, absolutely not amused. Right. And that's the fucking end. That's the end. Yeah. Yep. This sucked. So I have an exceptionally hard time with this subject. And I'm not like exclusively saying that it's me, but a lot of people do. <laughs> this is one of the hardest crimes that decent 
people find to exist. Shitty people. If you go to prison for this, everyone hates you. Everyone in prison, people that murdered their mom are like, look at that piece of shit. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I don't know the prison hierarchy, but I know you're on the fucking bottom. Yeah. So originally I had decided I wasn't going to do a chaser for this episode because I tend to avoid this shit in general, but here we are. So this shit is real and we're going to cover it or at least an angle of it. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) My favorite was... Okay. All right. Vigilante, a member of a self-appointed group of citizens who undertake law enforcement in their community without legal authority, typically because the legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. Oh, I know what this is about. I was just mm-hmm. for the third time reading about it this morning. We're talking about Jason Christian Vukovic. Yes. Vukovic was born in Anchorage, Alaska in 1975. When he was four years old, he and his brother were adopted by their stepfather, Larry Lee Fulton. Vukovic recalls his home as a strict Christian one, attending two to three church services a week. This is a quote from a letter written by him. So you can imagine the horror and confusion I experienced when this man who adopted me began using the late, late night prayer sessions to molest me. He spent his adolescence being sexually and physically abused by this monster. At some point in his childhood, his older brother ran away from home. Vukovic was devastated and worried that his brother would abandon him in the terrible place that he was growing up in. His brother was eventually found and arrested as a runaway, but then his brother decided to tell the police about the abuse. It's got to be so hard for people. I mean, the physical abuse, like there, because we're talking about like child molesters, I didn't go into all there's so many details about the physical abuse he endured as a kid Mm -hmm. it was awful it was awful physical abuse as a result of the investigation the stepfather was convicted of second degree abuse of a minor Vukovic remembers this that his family was like said that the brother shouldn't have come forward shouldn't have talked about it at all shouldn't have reported him and it should have been kept within the family yes they like fucking put circle the wagons and get all weird about shit like that so I say his name a lot throughout this because it's like I can't you also love Russian names I do. As soon as I saw his name was Vukovic, I'm like, oh, my God, Gabe's going to hate me. (laughs) But um, he also recalls and regrets being questioned privately by the prosecutor. He says that he lied and downplayed the abuse like a kid is supposed to know what to do in this situation. Like he really beats himself up for not being more forthcoming as a kid being questioned about this shit. Mm -hmm. So he says this, quote, I can attest that ultimately it didn't really matter what was said or done. His plea deal gave him a suspended sentence, not a single day spent in jail for beating and molesting his children. That's how it is, isn't it? After the conviction, his stepfather was told that he couldn't have contact with the abused, but then immediately following, his parents pulled him from school and picked up and moved them to Wasilla. You mean his parents as in the stepfather and the mom? Yes. So the mom's like still with the guy and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Right. So they moved him to Wasilla and he was isolated in homeschool. Wait, how was he not, if he wasn't allowed to have contact, how were they able to just, was it illegal? They crossed state lines with this kid. No, they went from Anchorage to Wasilla, and those are both in Alaska. Um, but he, they moved, and he's not supposed to be around him. Yep. And the police didn't. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Audible shrug. He was isolated in homeschool. They decided to pull him from school completely. They homeschooled him and he received zero counseling, check-ins, follow-ups from the state, absolutely nothing. His brother ran away for good when Vukovic was 14. And by the time he was 16, he himself ran away. So his life then became about survival, self-loathing in the penal system, basically. Yeah, like teen runaways stuff. Yeah. When he first ran away, he went back the next day to get his stuff. His mom said something like, I'm not going to be an accessory to your life of sin. And so they left all of his shit for him in garbage bags out on the front porch. But, but they, she'll be an accessory to... Yep. Uh, for her husband. Okay. But they withheld his driver's license and his social security card. He took off, went to Seattle, had like blue collar jobs. He ended up doing multiple stints in prison for minor crimes, including petty theft and driving without a license. So he was arrested for driving without a license like eight times. Yeah. When he found out that because he didn't have... Uh, uh, documentation that he needed to have for like working out of state at these jobs under age. Yeah. He started stealing. Yeah. And it became a part of how he survived. He said this, quote, being a thief and a liar fit nicely with my lack of self-worth. My silent understanding was that I was worthless, a throwaway. Mm. So in 2006-ish, Vukovic moved back to Anchorage after spending his adult life in the, what he calls the lower 48, what I think everybody in Alaska yeah. calls the continental U.S. that. Yeah. He wanted a fresh start, but soon found himself laid off and in prison for stealing credit cards. And after that, he had a parole violation for eluding and that sent him through the revolving door back into prison for three more years. How old was he at this time? Do you know? Was he still like a teen or? Was... No, he was in 2006. He was 31 when he went back to oh, okay. Anchorage. Okay. So he had been just doing this. Yeah. When I say one of the huge parts of his life was self-loathing, like this guy never got any help for mm-hmm. the trauma that he experienced his entire childhood. So he's like trying to function around that Mm -hmm. as an adult and just getting imprisoned. Did he see his brother at all or anything? I don't know. I don't have that information. There's no more information about his brother that I could find. So then it was the summer of 2016. Vukovic was 41. He was again attempting to live his life out of trouble and in a quiet community when he said he started hearing rumors of kids being molested, of men abusing their positions of power to hurt kids. He says, I thought back to my experiences as a child and felt the overwhelming desire to act. So he began searching the local sex offender registry and began taking the law into his own hands. He got himself a notebook and he made a list. There were three names on that list. Mm -hmm. Charles Elby, his crime in 2002, sexual abuse of a minor too. Andreas Barbosa was convicted of possession of child pornography in 2014. And Wesley Demarest. In 2006, he was convicted of attempted sexual abuse of a minor. At 9.30 a.m., June 25th, Vukovic knocked on Charles Albee's front door. Shit, in the morning? Mm-hmm. Albee reported that Vukovic instructed him to sit on his bed and slapped him in the face multiple times. Vukovic then told him he was there because Albee was a registered sex offender. He stole some shit from him and he left. 4 a.m., June 27th. Less than 48 hours later, Vukovic knocked on the door of Andreas Barbosa. 4 a.m.? Yeah. Whoa. He threatened to, quote unquote, bash in his dome with a hammer, called him a pedophile, and punched Barbosa in the face numerous times. Robbed him and left. Okay. 1 a.m. June 29th, Vukovic broke into Wesley Demarest's home through a window. Demarest's roommate recalls a man in a black leather jacket and shoulder-length hair standing behind him and instructing him to leave. Vukovic asked Demarest if he had his correct identity and if he was on the sex offender registry 
list. When Damaris confirmed it, Vukovic then asked if he felt he had paid for his crime. Damaris claimed that he felt he did. Vukovic disagreed and told him, I'm an avenging angel. I'm going to mete out justice for the people you hurt. When Vukovic told Damaris to get down on his knees and lie in the bed, Damaris started swinging. So Vukovic beat him with a hammer until Damaris went unconscious. Okay. So I want to hit that avenging angel thing. That's straight out of the Bible. An avenging angel is like the angels that dole out justice for God. I'm quoting this article that I found on belief.net. <laughs> I just looked up the event. legit. <laughs> I, I just looked up the avenging angels, but it just says there are a handful of cases in scripture that show angels carrying out the judgment of God upon humanity through violence. Mm -hmm. These angelic attacks are reminders of God's sovereign power, as well as the lengths he will go to in order to protect and guide humanity. I wonder how long he'd been like relating to that or he had that in the back of his mind of like that's something he heard about when he was a kid going to church all that time mm -hmm. and then being like somebody needs to do something like mm -hmm. nobody can came for me, you know? Yeah. So after Vukovic beat Damarist with a hammer until he went unconscious, Damarist woke up in a pool of blood and had multiple concussions, skull fractures, etc. And his roommate had already called 911. Hold on. Dude's roommate was there? Yeah. When Vukovic came in, the roommate was the one who woke up and he was like, hey, what are you doing? Because he didn't knock on the door this time. He broke in because mm. it was one in the morning. Yeah. And he was like, uh, coming to beat up your roommate. Nighty. Well, that's why you, like, he had a very focused intention mm -hmm. because he's like you should go yeah and the guy's like okay my and he left and called 911 he left and called 911 yeah. yeah anyways so Damaris woke up in a pool of blood blah, blah 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 but I just wanted to remind everybody like yes he was horribly beaten I read all these articles I saw pictures of like how terribly beaten he was he had struggles to form a sentence but he was convicted of attempted sexual abuse of a minor which I found out that the girl was in kindergarten oh my god yep and in all these fucking interviews this piece of shit was like I paid for my crime and I this and this and that what does it mean attempted like he didn't did he like kidnap her or something I don't I don't no, I couldn't find any details. I randomly found out that she was in kindergarten. So some of the things that Vukovic had stolen from these dudes include a laptop and a truck. Like a toy truck or an entire truck? Like a, he drove off with the second dude's truck. Okay. Cool. The child porn dude. He's like, bye, I'm taking your fucking truck. So not long after Damaris' roommate called 911, the police found Vukovic in his car with his notebook containing the three names, his hammer, and many of the stolen items. Mm -hmm. Vukovic was arrested. He initially pled not guilty. In a letter, he said, quote, grown men who suffer physical wounds will heal. Children who are maligned physically, spiritually, and emotionally grow up but never become what they could have been. A molested or beaten child automatically receives a life sentence. There is no release date. I mean, he, true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. He goes on to propose that he will willingly serve back-to-back -back the combined sentences of the three men he attacked in addition to what his own stepfather served. Eight years and nine months. That's the combined? Combined. Four dudes. Four dudes. What the fuck, dude? That is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why can somebody get like five years for trying to put their fucking kid into the wrong school in the wrong district? Yeah. And a guy who can literally ruin... 
a child's entire life. Oh, I can't. Okay. Yeah. I've said it before. Our most vulnerable population are not protected. Across the board. Yeah. I read more articles with this fucking Damaris dude and he's like, I don't think that our addresses or places of work should be on the registry and blah, blah, blah. They don't list exact addresses anymore, um, mm-hmm. at least not in Alaska. Vokovich goes on to say, I realize no organized modern society can tolerate vigilantism. However, no reasonable court can think that justice is served when someone who allegedly assaulted three convicted child molesters is expected to serve four or five times as long in prison as they did combined. Again, state of Alaska, eight years, nine months. I'll sign on the line tomorrow. Instant, low-cost resolution. Justice, you decide. Dude, that's awesome that he's like, I realize that like vis- like no society can have mm-hmm. vigilantism, but no society can also right. allow how like, three is, months where somebody- How is the- yeah. Pun intended, hammer coming down on this guy for his crime when... And he's 100% completely aware mm-hmm. that it was, like, wrong. Yeah, it's it's all what's on paper, which is that shit yeah. needs to be fucking changed. So people went ape for this dude, right? Like, yeah. people followed it close because a lot of people were like... I was just reading about know? it more about it this morning. I know. I thought it was a really recent thing. His con- I thought it was too. No, in 2018 is when he received his uh, sentence. But so people went ape for this dude, but this is not the movies. So a year, year and a half later, he cut a deal and agreed to plead guilty to first degree attempted assault and a consolidated count of first degree robbery. The deal from prosecutors was that they would dismiss more than a dozen other charges against him. He then wrote another letter claiming that he now regrets his actions because he doesn't want to influence others to take the action that he did. So in that letter, he said, I want my story to serve as a deterrent. My choices led me to where I currently sit, looking at 20 years in prison. If you have already lost your youth like me due to a child abuser, please do not throw away your present and your future by committing acts of violence. There are many kind and loving things we can do to protect children. He closes the letter by saying, I urge anyone who reads this to engage the proper channels to affect positive change. Do not glamorize my actions. Believe me when I say there is nothing glamorous about my life now. So yeah, that this guy, he's extremely like self-aware and yeah. like, thoughtful about everything that happened. He and, like, is. articulates it very well because there's things where I'm like hmm, vigilantism, but like also that was rad. But and then he like answers the thought I had in my head, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So then in 2018, he received a 23 year sentence. And then I read somewhere that he would be eligible for parole or he could apply for it after six years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's any sort of like support for him did his past being in prison and stuff affect the yes amount? yeah okay Let's they said that. that you like you've non-stop been in and out of prison and it's like you know why but if they're just gonna you... go by the law is and that is what they're gonna but do but it's also like he said the law he's like a textbook example of cyclical crime mm-hmm. but like he said the law was like yeah i'll do all the time like it's not okay to do vigilantism but it's fucking not okay to get two months for raping a child or whatever. Yeah. If you go to the episode on our website, svupodespeciallyheinous.com, you can read his five-page letter in full along with all of the other source material for this chaser. Hmm. But that's where I got a lot of this information was his second letter that he wrote. Yeah. Now, I think... This is me speculating. He could really have sat in prison and been like, fuck, man, like, I can't handle this, you know, 20 years and really thought back on it and regretted his actions. But he also wrote that letter prior to his sentencing. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if his lawyer was like, you know, it would be a really good idea since they're not going to give you your deal 
here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Tell them you're sorry. Start now so that in six years after you get convicted, you might get out. So Demarest, the guy who got it the worst, is no longer on the Alaska Sex Offender Registry. Hmm? Mm-mm. Why? This is the attempted, the five-year-old, right? Yes. Okay. I always thought that the sex offender registry was a life Me too. time thing. This guy was had 15 years on it, and that has just come up, and I could not find him anywhere on the sex offender registry. Weird. I didn't know that. Again, state by state, probably. So that's it. That's... Wow, what a bummer. Tell your therapist yeah. to fuck off. Jason Christian <laughs> Vukovic. I don't want to talk about my therapist on here. I don't. What if she listens? I always try to get her to laugh at my jokes. And then I'm like, are you sitting there going, I wish we could be friends, but it's not professional. That's that's how strongly I need to be like. If you think that I don't do that with every single person I tattoo. (laughs) You're going to leave here just like wishing we could keep this hang going. I said that to a therapist one time before I had this therapist. Like I was in the middle of telling her some dark shit and I was like, It's really hard for me to be fully honest with you right now because I have such a crippling need to be liked that like I want to tell this story in a version that makes you continue to like me. And she, her eyes widened in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I was like, oh my God, am I a psychopath? (laughs) No. No. Not at all. You have too much empathy. Ugh. I don't don't know. (laughs) That's the end. Love ya. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at SVU Pod. And we also have a Facebook group, SVU Pod. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. We also have a website, SVU Pod, especially heinous.com. Check it out. Check them all out. Check, check, check it out, <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> I was hoping that you would know that that was your cue to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Love you. Bye. Love you, me. <laughs> like our demo is not straight white dudes. I love you, husband. Yeah. Um, not Gabriel. He's like a songy d- angel. Oh, he's the one that was like, "Hey, Mary, you're <laughs> pregnant." <laughs> yeah. She's like, "I know, I'm a prostitute." <laughs> Leave that in. I'm going to. Good. You know what, guys? We're gonna start a Patreon for stamp content. I want you to do a stabler pinup. Why have I never thought of that? I don't know. But you never notice when he rolls up his sleeves, they're super high rolled up. Yeah. Like, how are your sleeves? They're past the elbow. Like, I know you're ripped. Like, way past the elbow. Do you have them tailored where you, like, you take all the arms out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, take that waist in. Perfect V. Fucking Mighty Ducks ass V. (laughs) 